Welcome to The Deal with Yield. Our two hosts for today's program are Joel Ripperford and Kyle Reiner, Master Agronomy Advisors for Winfield. First of all, Joel, tell us a little bit about yourself. My name is Joel Whipperfirth. I'm a Master Agronomy Advisor with Winfield. I grew up on a family dairy farm down in southern Wisconsin where they still milk 300 cows today. I went to school in western Minnesota out in Marshall, worked a little bit of ag retail in southeast Minnesota, and have been a Master Agronomy Advisor with Winfield for about four years. I work a lot with large producers and spend a lot of time on the farm walking fields and trying to help growers optimize yields. Kyle, tell us about yourself. I grew up on a small farm, southwest Minnesota, crops, both corn, soybeans, and then we had some hogs and cattle growing up. Got an internship with AgriLiance at the time, Uh, moved up to Fargo, worked retail up there for four years, got an opportunity to come back down and do a seed and agronomy advisors in southwest Minnesota, and been currently a master agronomy advisor for three plus years. Thanks for introducing yourselves. It sounds like you both have farming in your blood. On this edition of The Deal with Yield, we'll explore some of the most important aspects of in-season management. Tell me, Joel, what's the first thing that comes to mind once seed is in the ground? We're on this quest that the genetics that have been bred through in corn have this enormous potential. And, you know, even take the last year's yield competition winner, what Kyle was a 503 bushel in, in Georgia, and the genetics for these plants to get yield are really there. I think one of the biggest challenges is, you know, how do you just never let your corn plant have a bad day? And through that, it's a series of trying to eliminate yield barriers or limiting factors. Kyle, your thoughts? If I go back to just what we accomplished with the NFL draft, every corn kernel has a potential, and every college kid coming out has potential. It's just putting in the right environment to succeed. What do you consider the limiting factors in 300 bushel corn yields and 100 bushel soybean yields? The corn aspect, getting a 300 bushel, obviously everybody's trying. We come up short most of the time in our area. We'll hit some spots in our fields that are 250 plus. But look, it's simple. If if we have a water saturation problem, you won't hit 300. If you don't have your tile figured out, you don't have your liming figured out, you don't have your weed control figured out, you'll never hit 300 bushel. You can hit 175 to 200 bushel pretty consecutive. If the stars align and Mother Nature throws you a little bit of water and sunshine, you can hit 175 to 200. But it's a systems approach. And if you think you're just going to continue to use the same varieties over the same soil and not vary the, the population, not vary the fertilizer, and expect to get 300, it could happen. It could happen. I could get hit by lightning tonight, but it's probably not going to happen year after year, because you just don't have the management. If you put more population, you need fertility there. If you invite 100 people to the party and you only bring 70 barley pops, somebody's not going to be real happy about it, right? Limiting factors in 300 bushel corn and 100 bushel soybeans. What do you think, Joel? Yield is a system, plain and simple. And if you've not got something figured out we've definitely seen some of the top end potential of the genetics but if it was too long uh, without moisture or too long with moisture uh, all those things are going to play into it more and more farmers have been using in-season data to help them make decisions on their operation talk with us about the importance of in-season imagery 
I think it's a lot like trying to plan your weekend. You maybe want to go somewhere. You got a family event. You got a birthday party going on. You kind of look at the forecast ahead of time so you know what to wear. Maybe if you should bring an umbrella. And that's a lot of the same way that we're trying to look at just enough of the information that's in our field, from our field, that helps us identify, again, go back to limiting factors. It helps us see things that we can't see maybe from the road. And so as you look at in-season imagery, really what we're doing is we're collecting biomass information. If one area of the field has low biomass and another has high, what are the causes for that? The imagery doesn't interpret what the cause is. It tells us where to go look. And sometimes that's more helpful than just being able to drive by it and the corn all looks green and everything looks fine. But you can actually go out and find some areas that have some opportunity for upside based on what that limiting factor might be. Kyle, how do you use this uh, in-season imagery? Well, the in-season image to me replaces the old cultivator. Uh, A lot of the growers used to run cultivators and tractors through the field. They were in tune with what was going on out there. Whether it was one or two times a year, they would see a spot. Maybe they didn't know what that spot was. But now... With the technology we have, hitting the fields with multiple chemicals, um, maybe really only get across that field one time during the year. And people lose touch with what's actually that there is different zones and quadrants out there, and, and they got to understand there is issues, whether it's insect issue or if it's a deficiency of a, of a nutrient. And, and these technologies of, of drones or satellite imagery are an excellent way to look at the fields because most of the time the deficiencies aren't always from the road. You have to actually get out and walk in them. So is it safe to say if you have the technology, use it wisely? Well, certainly nobody ever calls me to look at a good field. Nobody ever says, hey, Joel, get on out here. This field looks great. I just wanted to see what you think. They usually call me up when something's a problem, right? And, And so with the technologies, we've got some ability to sort out some of that stuff of rather than me driving around a hundred square mile radius and looking for the field that's a problem, just being able to pull up which areas you need to go scout. It brings some efficiency to the day, but it also helps you go into the field and look for where limiting factors are. Well, the management zone piece of it is crucial for ag today and where it's going to be in the future. We have to do a better job of taking our medium ground or medium potential to our high potential ground and moving that forward. Our low potential ground, instead of taking the same investment per acre, I think we could reallocate some of those resources and to make our medium to better ground better. And maybe our spots in our fields that are yield limiting are tile or maybe they're lime. Something we need to do a different practice to make them better. Yeah, management zones are really simple. Make somewhere between two and five of them and try to understand what the limiting factors are. When you've got two to five management zones, changing the population based on water holding capacity, based on adjusting your amount of nitrogen or nutrients that you put out there, based on how many plants per acre you put out there, all those things go together. But I think the key to management zones, you're really talking precision ag. That's really when that conversation comes in. And precision ag is just making sure that you can put the resources where they belong in the spot that's going to use them most. It really says two messages. One of them is return on investment and making sure that the farmer is optimizing their profitability on each acre. But there's also a sustainability message that we continue to hear about and that we continue to tell the rest of the world and and the rest of the general public that as producers, one side of the story is we don't want to spend any more money than we have to. 
But the other side of the story is we also don't want to over-apply nutrients because they're not going to be utilized. And that's the same story. It's just a different side of the coin. Joel, as we wrap it up today, any last thoughts you'd like to end on? You have to always try for yield. That was one of the things one of our uh, counterparts or colleagues, supervisors used to say is, if you plan for a good year, you might get one. But if you plan for a poor year, you will get one. you got to plan for a good year. I don't think I've ever met a farmer that wouldn't go for yield, regardless of what prices and economics. And seems like they always want the yield, don't they? They always want the bushels to haul the town. At least, there's at least the pride factor in that. But there's cost cutters and yield optimizers out there. And that's one of the things I see in the next five years is there's going to be a large divergence or a split of farmers that go for yield optimization and ones that go for cost minimization. And I can't imagine that five years from now, the ones that went for cost minimization are going to be either as profitable or still in the business. I think that's going to be one of the ranges that we see farmers succeed in is is people that went for high yields, they're going to have made the rent payments, they're going to have made the farm payments. Even at $3.56 corn, there's an opportunity for profitability in yield optimizers. Whether you're a person that's the half glass full or the half glass empty, we're here as agronomists or advisors to try to optimize every potential that that seed has. Everybody says, yep, it's 100% yield potential still in the bag. And they're 100% correct there. And it's our job once we do the best job of field preparation, putting it in the seed at the right depth to manage it throughout the season because that's what it's going to be coming about. This is The Deal with Yield with Joel Whipperfirth and Kyle Reiner, Master Agronomy Advisors for Winfield.